0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Good
1: morning, City on a Hill. Uh, My name's Anna, and my week has probably looked very similar to a lot of you. Um, I have... Attempted to work. Um, my normal job's a pharmacist. I have been a wife and a mother, but I've also been a homeschooler and a, um, a cook, a cleaner, a um, party planner, a everything um, So it's been a bit of a crazy week, but the uh, one thing that I have been looking forward to every week is uh, Thursday mornings where um, I get to meet together with other women in our church um, during our women's GC on a Thursday morning. So that has brought me much joy uh, during these times. I would love it if you could uh, uh, turn with me in our Bible this morning uh, where we read Luke chapter 2. Uh, and we will be starting at verse 22 and reading through to verse 35. Uh, so if you could open your Bibles and read with me. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thanks be to God. Indeed. Thank you, Anna. Well, as Steph said, today we begin a new series called Encounter. Jesus makes all things new. And so just as when He walked this earth, men, women, children encountered the living Jesus, so too we're going to encounter Him in these next nine weeks through the Scriptures. And just as those same men, women and children, as they met and encountered Jesus, were changed and transformed... That's what we're going to be praying toward as well, that these nine weeks might change us and transform us as Jesus makes us new. So we're going to start by praying toward that end. Would you pray with me now as we prepare our hearts for God's Word? Let's pray. Almighty God, we uh, thank you for your Word. We thank you particularly uh, for the next nine weeks, this uh, account of Jesus' life written by Luke. Lord, we do pray that you would open up the text for us open up your word to us may we know that it is indeed your word to us and so help us see Jesus through this Jesus would you push through our emotions push through our tiredness push through any distractions and push all the way through into our hearts into our souls and into our lives that we might truly encounter you we pray this in Jesus mighty name Amen well just yesterday I read a what I thought was a, a great quote it said, "When it comes to God we are like ants crawling across an iPad in touch with something we only faintly understand and that's why uh, we are taking these next nine weeks in this encounter series to focus in on Jesus because in Jesus God himself has made himself known to us, that we might understand Him, that we might know Him, that we might see Him, that we might indeed encounter Him. Today, one area of our lives in which we are going to come face to face with the difference that Jesus makes for us is in our waiting. Yes, our waiting. There you go, you just did it right then, your internet's fine, don't worry, I was letting you wait, waiting. The act of staying where one is or delaying action until a particular time or event. And we don't often think about it, but waiting is something that you and I do all the time. In fact, surveys suggest that the average person spends 11% of their entire life waiting, almost seven years, 24-7 of their life waiting. As I was reading about this, uh, the same survey suggested that uh, 20 months of that time waiting was spent waiting for your partner or for your children. 17 months is spent waiting for food to be cooked. Here's a painful one. Five and a half months of your life is going to be spent waiting for slow technology. Four and a half months is spent waiting in queues and four months is spent waiting for the kettle. Now, it wasn't on the survey, but I have uh, anecdotal evidence that the average Melbourneian has spent the last 18 months waiting to get out of lockdown. And that waiting is particularly hard, isn't it? That is particularly painful because there's a difference between waiting and then waiting when you are anticipating an outcome, or that waiting is exaggerated by it being particularly inconfe- inconvenient. Perhaps you've experienced that that twenty-four hours that you have to wait for a COVID test result can often feel like twenty-four days. That three seconds that I have to wait when I put my phone in front of a QR code to check in, and I'm waiting for that notification to pop up to register that it's notice that it's a QR code. It's like that that three seconds. I feel like in that amount of time, I can assess all of my life's choices. Waiting can be Painful. We do a lot of waiting. Today, we're going to see that when we encounter Jesus, and an encounter even with the not yet fully developed, still needs his mother's milk, still working out which faces he is goo goo and gaga in front of, an encounter with even the baby Jesus is transformative in our waiting. And let's be real. A lot of our waiting as Christians isn't all that superficial, a lot of our waiting is, is painful. It feels like a, a stretch of our soul. It can feel like we have to hold our breath as storms and circumstances and pain or disappointment or sin or suffering, that all of it is sweeping us out into this ocean of hopelessness, away from the shore of hope. And so, as Christians, when we wait for things, it can start to make us ask, Where is God? Is Jesus really coming back at all? When will death finally be put away? When will my sin finally be rid of? Will I get there to the end? Will we ever see Jesus face to face? So we're going to see what happens to this one man who was waiting and waiting and waiting. And then he meets baby Jesus. And So let's open up the text. Uh, Hopefully you have it... With you, if not, just pop up, pop up a, a, another browser window or uh, open up your app to Luke chapter 2, uh, and we'll start in verse 22. Luke tells us this, or he sets the scene in this way that when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up, that's Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And So here we have a, a bit of a, a coming of age scene for little baby Jesus and his family. And in his minds, as we read this uh, few verses here, we might get the sense that this is a bit of a, a Lion King type moment. You probably remember the scene where all the animals are dancing and singing their way to pride rock. And there when we see Pride Rock, we see little baby Simba and he's brought up onto the the, the top of the rock by the monkey Rafiki and Rafiki there holds him, lifts him up. And then there's that epic music. I won't won't go on. And we think this is what's happening to Jesus right here. This is amazing. Perhaps the whole city of Jerusalem has put on a parade to, to usher Jesus into the temple. Unfortunately, that's not what is happening here. There is no parade, there is no fanfare. In fact, outside of what we already know about Jesus, there is nothing remarkable that is happening here in little Jesus' life. Mary, Joseph and Jesus will have had to push their way through the, the, the traffic in Jerusalem. They would have rubbed shoulders with all these unsuspecting strangers who didn't have a clue at all whose presence they were in as they made their way up to the temple. And so what Luke is is trying to convey here in this moment is that as they did push through to the temple, he wants us to know that Joseph and Mary, Jesus' earthly parents, that they were very pious because he gives us all this detail about how they were fulfilling the obligations of God's law, particularly from Exodus and Leviticus. We already know if we had read up to this point that in the the verses just prior to this, uh, that already have... Jesus circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. that would already given him the name that the angel Gabriel had come and told them to give, the name Jesus. And now they're in Jerusalem in accordance with the purification rites. But it's mainly for, for Mary's purification because a woman who had given birth to a son, Leviticus stipulated that she was to spend 40 days and then on the 40th day could bring a sacrifice and re-enter normal social life. But Luke says, there. Purification, not just her purification. So there is a sense in which there is something happening for Jesus here. It tells us also that Mary and Joseph weren't just pious, but they're also poor. Because the offering for purification that is said uh, that they were to, to bring, uh, it tells us that they could either bring a lamb or they could bring a pair of turtle doves or pigeons if they couldn't afford the lamb. And we're told that they they brought the pigeons because Luke tells us that uh, they, well, he he insinuates that that they couldn't afford the the more expensive option. They had to go with the cheaper option. And so Jesus' family is both pious and poor. And then they come into the temple and they meet this man, Simeon. And so let's meet Simeon ourselves. Simeon, the waiting prophet. In verse 25, we meet him. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, we don't know much about Simeon, but we do know a couple of important things. Importantly, he was righteous and devout. He was godly. And that godliness, we're told, was expressed in Simeon's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting. And his heart and his soul and his life goals were all wrapped up in being able to witness his people, Israel, finally being comforted, finally being consoled by the Lord. Perhaps Simeon's favorite Bible verses were were found in Isaiah 40 to 66, because in there the prophet traces the the themes of God bringing comfort to his people. You might be familiar with Isaiah 40 verse 1. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And so Simeon and indeed much of Israelite society around him, they were primed for the coming of the Lord. Because when the Lord was to come, they were going to be free from foreign occupation, free from subjugation, free from being overseen by Caesar and Rome and instead become again a nation ruled by Yahweh. And it's interesting that the Lord links Simeon's righteous character and his devout godliness with this sense of waiting. The Christian life, just like his, is going to include and require a lot of waiting. Don't we wait for our prayers to be answered? We wait for our our longings to be resolved. We wait for freedom from circumstances. We're praying for God to come and change. We wait for friends and family who we yearn that they too would be able to see and encounter Jesus as we have. We wait for our own process of sanctification, of of change and grow. We we wait to get, get over things that we still struggle and fall into. We wait for sin in us to be fully defeated and destroyed. We wait for death to be no more. We wait for suffering to give way. We wait for justice to come and reign. We wait for faith to turn into sight. We wait to finally enter in to the presence of the Lord forever. We wait for God's people together to come. How good it will be. The Christian life is marked by waiting for all of these things and I'm sure like us, Simeon felt how hard it was to wait. I'm sure he would have felt a temptation to to stop waiting, to give up waiting and therefore to give up being righteous and devout. We know from history that there were other leaders that had arisen at the the time of Jesus who, who claimed that they would be the ones who would bring comfort, Israel they would be the ones who bring freedom for Israel well Simeon could have easily followed along and joined in and served them I'm sure he would have felt the temptation to perhaps change his theology so his waiting wasn't so grueling change his theology so that he could have what he's waiting for here and now And that's certainly a temptation that we feel leaders and movements rise up all the time and they could take our hopes away from waiting for the coming of Jesus and onto their policies or their power or their preaching or their celebrity. There are movements of churches around the world that I would say, as much as I love them as brothers and sisters in the law, they've uh, adopted a theology that the things that we are waiting for at the end should be experienced in the here and now. It's called an overrealized eschatology the things of the end should be realized now and when this happens when we buy into this it starts to change our definition of godliness suddenly godliness doesn't become waiting but if you don't have those things now you become ungodly but we see here in the text Luke connects the two that godliness is attached to our waiting now this isn't just a problem in some parts of the church out there it's also a problem in me Almost all of my sins at root are an impatience, an inability to wait for the Lord. You know, when you're a pastor or in ministry at all, uh, there's always the the, the idolatry of ministry success, that you love to see things grow and you kind of build your status and your identity of how quickly a ministry can grow. And it arises from a lack of patience, a lack of understanding, a lack of uh, trusting in the Lord and His means of grace and drawing people to Himself. Pride is the result when we want the glory of the Lord that we're promised to experience at the end, that we want to experience it in ourselves right now. Greed is the result when we want the things that God promises to provide throughout our lives or indeed at the end, that we want to experience them and have the comfort and the security of them in the here and now. And so waiting is godly but often our lack of waiting is an expression of our ungodliness but this is where encountering jesus makes all the difference because jesus is committed to changing us and encountering jesus does change us a few weeks ago between lockdowns jules my wife and i we got word that the unit that we were renting uh, in burwood east was going to be sold and so we need to find a new place to live Uh, And praise God, God provided a a new place in between those five days or whatever it was uh, between lockdowns and we were able to move. Uh, But the reality of moving set in in those weeks as we had to pack everything up. Is there anything more grueling and frustrating than having to pack everything up? And particularly when we have to deconstruct everything and kind of return it to its flat pack state. Turns out that deconstruction, when you are trying to be careful and trying not to destroy things and trying not to break things, well, it actually takes a lot longer than reconstruction. I think unpacking took about two weeks. Sorry, packing up took about two weeks and unpacking took about two days. And you know, God is committed to our transformation. God is committed to our reconstruction. He's committed to taking out the old and putting in the new, picking off the dead fruit so that new, godly fruit can be born and it takes a lot of time for us to unlearn our impatience it takes a lot of of time for us to relearn how to wait it takes a lot of time to be kind of pulled away from our addiction to novelty and from having things in the now and especially in our current times aren't we all frustrated we're all we're all triggered very easily that our tongues are much sharper. Our fuses are much shorter. That we type out social media posts that just have that little bit of extra zing because we're all high on angst and frustration. And our impatience is showing. But God is committed to the steady and slow work of deconstructing our impatience and bearing in us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Bearing in us love joy, gentleness, and of course, patience. There is a reason that one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is patience, because we require a lot of it in the Christian life. And that is also a clue for us, and Luke speaks to it explicitly, about perhaps why Simeon was able to wait so righteously. Because it tells us the very next uh, sentence that we're told about Simeon is that, The Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, often we think that our waiting is a sign that God is not with us. But here we see that Simeon's experience is that he waited because God was upon him. The Holy Spirit was upon him. That the ability to wait is a sign of God's work in you and with you. And so God had also uniquely given Simeon a promise And we read that in verse 26. It says, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so, what happens as Jesus is brought into the temple? What happens when Simeon finally sees baby Jesus? Well, let's talk about Jesus, the peacemaker. Luke says that Mary and Joseph bring Jesus into the temple and Simeon immediately, uh, what often happens when you bring a baby to church is Simeon takes him up in his own arms and he holds little baby Jesus and then we're told that he says something profound or in actual fact, he, he sings something profound. Luke 29, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. And so Simeon has been waiting and waiting and waiting. And you can imagine the the inner turmoil, the, the, the tensions and wrestle and struggle that Simeon had had waiting for this to come to his people. And the difference that Jesus makes for Simeon is is right here in the text. He says it. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Simeon now has peace. To be sure, Simeon hasn't seen the outcome that he's been praying for. He hasn't seen the resolution that he's been hoping for. He hasn't seen the tangible fruits of salvation or consolation or comfort Israel is still under Roman occupation at this point. His Messiah is still a baby. But just a glimpse of Jesus. And in the midst of waiting for all of this, Simeon now is overwhelmed with peace. So much peace that he's done. He's like, this is it. I'm I'm now happy to depart in peace, having seen this 40-day-old baby. And that's the difference that, that Jesus makes. You know, Jesus doesn't put his promises for us in a microwave and make them all fulfilled in a moment. He doesn't make everything that we're waiting for come, here and now. But Jesus promises to bring peace in the midst of our waiting. We don't wait without hope. We don't wait overwhelmed by nerves. We don't wait with uncertainty. We don't wait humming and aring. No, we wait with peace. We wait with assurance of things that we hope for, confident of those things that we don't yet see. And it's worth noticing in verse 30, what brings this peace for Simeon, he says, is, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And so baby Jesus didn't magically communicate something to Simeon. He didn't kind of slip him a secret note of what was going to happen in the future. Simeon hasn't solved this formula. It's not that he got an idea or brought into a theory or he's now developed a new conviction. It's that he's just seen a baby. He has seen Jesus. And salvation doesn't come through his being righteous or devout. It doesn't come through being in the temple. It doesn't come through us being righteous or devout. It doesn't come through us being at church. It doesn't come through us by ticking all the religious boxes that we feel like we need to tick to put forth a life by which we might be saved. No, it comes through a person. Salvation comes through Jesus. Salvation comes through being connected to Him, related to Him. Simeon's encounter with Jesus was the most important day of his life because here he saw salvation embodied. He saw Jesus and as he says, it says, Jesus, is, Jesus' salvation is for all people, a light for the Gentiles and glory for Israel. And that means all people can have this salvation in Jesus. That means you, perhaps you're tuning in today and you're not yet a Christian. You can be a Christian today. You can have this salvation today because the story of God coming into the world isn't this kind of historical event way back when. The story of God coming into the world in Jesus is that Jesus has come for you. Jesus has come for you to encounter Him so that you might see His salvation, so that you might have this great peace and you might then live your life in peace, waiting for Jesus to come again. We hear later, and we'll look at it in our encounter series, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to find the lost. It's also true that Jesus came to fix the found. And so if you are a Christian, this encounter highlights that the coming of Jesus can fix our waiting, resolve our waiting by giving us peace. That your anxiety can be replaced with peace as we cast our cares on Jesus. Your impatience can be replaced with peace peace as we are filled by the Spirit of Jesus. Your worry about the future can be replaced with peace as we trust in the reign of Jesus. Your angst about suffering or sin can be replaced with peace as we hope in Jesus. Your greed can be replaced with peace as we find contentment in Jesus. Your anger can be replaced with peace as we find patience in Jesus. Your temptation to give up on waiting for Him can be replaced with peace as we see that Jesus has already now come and that His coming gives us assurance that yes, He will surely come again and we can wait patiently for Him as it's on its way. And so what are you waiting for? What is at the the, the depths and in your heart of your hearts, the glory that you are hoping for, that you've been promised in the future? What is it that you are waiting for right now? Well, whether that is expressed in godly ways and you're able to wait in righteousness and being devout, or whether sometimes perhaps your sin rears its ugly head and you uh, start to lash out in ungodly ways as you express your impatience. When we come to Jesus, when we encounter Jesus, Jesus can bring us peace. Jesus can help us stand firm. As He tells uh, of the parable that... uh, One person built their house on a rock, the rock of Christ. Others on sand. And for both, storms came. For both, angst came. For both, anxiety came. For both, circumstances were rocky. And yet when we build our life on Jesus, we can be safe. When we send our waiting, our hopes toward Jesus, there we can still stand. Jesus is the peacemaker who brings us peace. And so after his song, Simeon then turns to Mary particularly and he signals that this peace is not going to be without its difficulty. It is not going to come easy. And so let's finish by focusing on our response and that is to surrender. And so Simeon pulls Mary aside and he turns to her and he says in, in verse 34, just here uh, at the beginning of verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother. And, and just before we, we go on, just as an aside, it's, it's worth perhaps noticing why he or Luke tells us that he turns to Mary, particularly, and particularly on, on Father's Day. It's like, what about the father? Joseph, don't you, don't you get a, a say here? There's something profound in this and... Um, it's generally accepted that, that, that Joseph uh, wasn't around for all of Jesus' life. When we start to read more about his ministry, and particularly around uh, the events of his death, where is Joseph? And so it's, it's kind of understood or accepted in tradition that, that Joseph perhaps passed away, that Mary, Mary was a widow. Jesus lost his dad. And so today we, we celebrate the dads, we celebrate men and the ways that they can be fathers to us. But we also see here that Jesus perhaps knows that if today is a hard day for you, if you have lost your father, whether he's passed away, whether your father has been absent, Jesus knows exactly what you're feeling. Jesus knows exactly the pain that it is to lose an earthly father. And so Jesus can minister to you and bring you even peace in the pain of what might be today. And so Simeon turns to Mary and his, his prophecy that was a song about God's salvation now turns to a warning about God's judgment because he, he goes on, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And so for those waiting in hope, Jesus brings peace. But for others, Jesus is going to bring war. And who are these others? Who are the ones that are, that are going to fall here? Well, Simeon is, is prophesying that Jesus is coming to, to blow up much of what Israel had built itself upon. You know, I mentioned the, the foundations. Well, Israel hadn't built good foundations. In fact, they had built their faith upon, the, the, or the religious establishment at least, had built their faith upon, yes, an, an outward projection of obedience but really an inward heart that was looking to to prop up themselves. That was really a a foundation of worldly power, of worldly religiosity. To them, Jesus would preach later, woe to you, woe to you. And we see throughout the ministry of Jesus that this is exactly why Jesus was a sign that was opposed, because he went right into the heart of the religious establishment to expose what was really going on those very people who said they were waiting for a Messiah would come to oppose the Messiah who had come because Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors, because Jesus preached repentance and love, because Jesus reached out to the the outcasts and and rescued the lost. So Jesus, as He came from a poor family in, in, in Nazareth, far away from the center of the establishment, as He came closer to the center, particularly as we see in the book of Luke, He would have more and more opposition from the center of that establishment. Jesus exposed the religious elites. He showed up that really they had stopped waiting on the Lord. They'd built their own system and held on to their own power. And so Jesus was opposed. And Simeon highlights to Mary that she herself is going to experience this incredible pain of that opposition. It's going to feel like a sword piercing through even her soul. And Simeon here is prophesying the cross. That at the end of Jesus' life, a life of bringing peace to all those who would come because they've been patiently waiting for the Lord and they see that he is now here. Jesus himself would experience that war on their behalf. That the Romans, the Jews, the religious elites, the crowds would all conspire against him, shout out, crucify him. And Jesus would have to carry his own cross up a hill beside Jerusalem and die upon it in the place of the very people who spat upon Him, who abused Him. But as Jesus experienced that war, God's judgment upon Himself, He was doing it so that He might take our judgment in our place. And watching all of that we hear at the time that, that Mary was there, how much grief she would have felt. It would have felt like a sword was piercing through her soul as she looked at her son dying there, so gruesomely for the sins of the world. And so what does this mean for us? Well, we need to confess that we ourselves sometimes fall in to this religious presumption that the religious elites did in Jesus' day, that we could find ourselves perhaps in the, the crowd of falling, the, the, the many who propped themselves up over and up against Jesus and opposed Him. And really, all of us need to fall. Theologian Leon Morris commenting on this verse says, unless people lose all pride in their own spiritual achievement, there is no place for them. And so what are we standing on? The the challenge here for us is that that will we be people who fall now so that we might rise later? Or will we be people who put ourselves rising now and we face falling or, or judgment later? What are we standing on right now? Are we standing on our own righteousness and devoutness? Are we standing on our own religious position? Are we standing on our own moral upstandingness? Are we standing on Jesus? Are we waiting for Jesus? Are we putting our hope and our trust in Jesus? All of us are going to fall. The question is, will we fall now or will we fall later? Will we humble ourselves now? and trust in Jesus? Or will we be humiliated later by opposing Jesus? Will we put our hands up and surrender now? Or will, when not the baby Jesus in His incarnation, but the exultant Jesus in His strength comes later, and we are forced to put our hands up in surrender then? And so if you want that peace that Jesus brings today, right now, then we have the opportunity right now to place our lives upon His to throw our lives upon the life and death of Jesus. And we have the gift and the, of the opportunity of being able to repent and to trust that Jesus was taking on the opposition that we deserve in our place for us so that we in Him might receive His salvation, His peace. And we can continue to experience that peace as we commit to joining Jesus in in making war against ourselves, in making war against our impatience, in making war against our self-centeredness, in making war against our sin, and through repentance and faith, surrender to Him again and again and again. And so today we encounter this Jesus who is the peacemaker. But peace doesn't come come without a cost. Jesus took upon His cross and through bloodshed and judgment bore our sin for us. And now we are called to take up our cross daily and wait with faith, with hope, with love. Jesus is surely coming soon. Jesus is making all things new. And Jesus wants to start making you new today. And so let us wait on the Lord together and experience His peace. Let's come to Him now. Let's pray. God Almighty, we thank you so much that you have sent your son into the world to live our life, die our death and then rise again. We thank you that as we encounter Jesus, as we see Jesus, and as we place our lives on his, as we stand upon his life lived, his death died, Lord, we can have peace. And so grant us this peace today, Lord, with all the, all the tensions and the conflicts and the angst and how unnatural our current life feels. Lord, we ask that you might give us peace in this time. Lord, for all our, our sin and our adolescence spiritually and the ways that we uh, lash out, whether internally, or verbally, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us and we pray that you would replace our impatience with peace help us wait for you help us know that waiting for you is an expression of godliness help us put our faith and our trust in you that whatever we're feeling whatever is happening Lord would we know that your promises are true that your presence has come and then you will surely come again Lord help us persevere in our waiting keep us from temptation and help us keep our eyes on you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.